Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, get ready to be energized and have some serious fun. This is the Energetic Education Podcast. Introducing your host, Dale Sidebottom. to episode number 58 of the podcast and we have a treat for you today. It's uh, not often that I think our guest is a genius and what Scott today is doing is next level gamification, engagement, buy-in from the students. It's just insane uh, the way that Scott is teaching and the results that he is getting. But before we go on to this, I just want to do a little announcement of a project that we have been working on for over six months now called the Fitness Game Zone. Now, this is a big site with over 500 games, professional development courses, videos. It's got everything you need for getting kids moving and learning at the same time. So there's a lot of cross-curricular sort of fitness games in there. So um, I don't want to go on about it too much, but pretty excited to get it out there. And if you'd like to check that out, you can go to www fitnessgamezone.com and on the site there are over 20 free games so you can go and check them out they've got the printable pdf the instructions and then also an instructional video so you'll know how to do those so um, check it out i'm sure you'll really enjoy it and i know that the students you teach will but back to today's episode now gamification is something that i love and the reason being is look at the students you teach if you said would you rather do some schoolwork, or would you rather play a game on the Xbox or the PlayStation or iPad? 95% of them would probably say, I want to play the game. So what Scott has done, he's like, well, I get that much engagement from students when they want to play games. Why don't I transform that into my science class? So Scott has gone next level. Now, I've heard of people using gamification in PE, in the classroom for general things to get students moving, but nothing like what you're about to hear today. Scott has released... Uh, a really good course that you can go and do as well and you'll probably want to do it once you hear how amazing what he is actually doing is. He is also a two-time TED Talker, so my second ever TED Talker on the podcast. And not only that, it's just really nice to catch up with such a passionate teacher. So guys, make sure you get a pen and paper. Scott is full of absolute wisdom today. Scott, thanks for joining me on the podcast. How are you, buddy? I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for having me. My pleasure. Now, it is... Uh, I'm a I'm a day ahead of you, so I'm sort of in the future. That's pretty exciting stuff. Exactly, this is my first podcast from someone that far away. Nice, mate. Nice. Now, for listeners out there, do you want to give a little bit of a, a background? And now, just before we do, you've started as a PE teacher on your journey, but now you're in the classroom. And and the main reason for today's topic is using gamification in the classroom and game based learning. So, do you want to just give a little bit of a background on how you've actually transformed your teaching and to be a classroom teacher from where you started yeah absolutely so I'll try to keep this relatively quick because I can be long-winded because I really like this stuff but essentially yeah started as PE thought my thought my biggest passion was physical education movement you know getting kids excited and uh, did that for for three years Um, had a great early part of my career and uh, then we got some some unfortunate family medical news. So we had to move. So we kind of gave that up um, in order to help some family. So I went looking for a PE job, but I couldn't get one right away. So because I couldn't get one, um, the one that I had was, we'll give you some PE, but it's not going to be full like you had. So they threw me into some grade eight sciences. So I went from kindergarten element, uh, uh, kindergarten phys ed to middle school sciences, which 
lo and behold, right, is, is a pretty different switch. <laughs> so the incredible part was to see the total perspective change of school. And it was night and day. You see these, these young kids, I think every teacher in their first five years of their career should be asked to teach kindergarten to, or grade four, anywhere in between, because you're going to see what kids expect school to be. You're going to see fun. You're going to see excitement. You're going to see play, discovery-based learning, all these things. Then when we hit middle school, uh, I know especially here in Canada, we have a ridiculous notion in which to take um, school and and eliminate everything that's good about it and say, okay, no more discovery, follow instructions. No more talking or collaborating, let's get in our quiet rows, et cetera, et cetera. And it's so non-reflective. So I didn't have permanent contract right away. I didn't want to rock the boat. So <laughs> trudged out my first year and got my continuous. And then I said, all right, um, time for me to change up this classroom because what I didn't like was I wasn't getting quality work. I wasn't getting any passion in it. It was just we're doing it because, or we're doing it because we're scared our parents are going to be mad if we don't do it well, or we're just going to give you whatever the first hit on Google is. And it, it drove me nuts. So I said, can I, can I take this engagement that I had in my phys ed classes and can I transform it in a, a traditional classroom setting? So I did what I don't think enough teachers do. And I sat down with the kids that I was teaching in my second year there. And I said, what's bad about school? And I said, you can tell me anything you want. I'm not going to get mad at you. You just have to be able to defend it. So if you're like, oh, school's boring, you can't just stop at that. you got to tell me. So I ended up getting kind of three main concepts that, uh, that kids were telling me. And essentially it was lack of creativity and freedom, loss of autonomy, and uh, no collaboration and things like, you know, those kind of were the main. And then we kind of had all kinds of things going off the side. So I took it all together. And I started doing some research about those topics, and I just kind of stumbled across um, back in 2014 the concept of gamification, which I didn't really know anything about at the time. So I said, all right, then, what are we going to do about this? And there was very little resources and, and things at the time. It was very much uh, a new thing, very prominent in business and marketing. So I kind of read some of those books and materials on that, and I said, let's, let's put the square peg in the round hole and make this fit in education. And uh, it's absolutely ridiculous how how well it's gone. Like it, it's been shocking to me. And I think that is awesome, mate. That and it, it's so simple what you did. You sat down with the students and you actually got their ideas instead of always going, no, this is what they need. Half the time we don't know exactly what they need, but you went to them and got their buy-in straight away. So you were already winning before you started because they felt like you were listening to their needs. Yeah, I kind of, I have this pinned tweet on my Twitter and um, that I just wish would, would catch a bit of fire for people who are who are like, well, why is I'm having so many troubles in my classroom? And I just, this like I quoted myself because I don't know, I'm an egomaniac or something, but I just pretty much said that students are the largest untapped resource in education because we ask everyone what they need except them. And it is remarkable if the kid knows that it is a safe environment to talk to you, they'll tell you and they'll tell you very clearly. And if you can check your ego at the door and say, this isn't about me, this is about a, a system that they don't like, the educational system as a whole, how can I listen to their problem and or their concern and address it so that it is a, a better environment for them? Because when they are engaged, that's your best form of classroom management and discipline. When they're 
engaged, you're going to get the best quality work and so on and so on, right? I mean, we know this as phys ed teachers. The problems we deal with in phys ed are nothing like a class. You know, it's like, guys, calm down. We're too excited. We're too crazy, you know, as opposed to why are you not trying, right? So it's, yeah, I just think that's, you got to give students that voice and choice. And, and I totally agree now. I run, I run a lot of workshops myself where uh, organizations, schools, they want classroom management techniques. And I said, mm-hmm. and I always say that there's no techniques needed. You just need to get that buy-in and respect from the students and actually have some fun, engaging lessons. And I think too often we forget that. Um, and that's where what I really wanted to have you on today is um, – Mind you, congratulations, you're my second TED Talker. I've had uh, Andy Vasily <laughs> on here and, and yourself now. How was, how was before we get into obviously gamification and how you use that, Scott, how was your TED Talk, mate? What was the experience like? Oh, it was, it was fantastic. I was fortunate it was the second one that I've done, and uh, this was a bigger scale for sure. So the first one was through uh, sanctioned through TEDx through a school board in our district, uh, and it was kind of like this special exclusive PD thing. And then this one was actually through uh, University of Alberta, so it was pretty significant, and it was it was awesome. It was uh, it went really really well. I break I try to break a lot of the TED rules when you do a TED talk. They give you this like booklet of things you have to do, make sure you don't do this, and make sure you rehearse and blah blah. blah. I just I'm not that kind of person. I think it's really authentic when it just comes out. Okay. So yeah, yeah. I threw threw a bunch of memes, making fun of education on a slide, and I just talked about what I thought the problem was and what my solution was and uh, I just kind of went from there and um, got some pictures back from it which is cool and I'm just waiting I guess the video has been sent to TED for its final approval and that was a couple weeks ago so actually hopefully in the next two weeks or less I should find out if I'm uh, making the TEDx website. Wow that, that'd be awesome and, and when and if you do I'm sure you'll get the approval mate I'll, I'll tweet out a link and I'm sure People that follow along will be able to watch that after our chat, and they'll be really keen to do that. Now, gamification, it is a massive topic these days. And and also, I was the same as you. I, I first stumbled across it in the business setting, and a lot of the books I was reading on it all about business, and I think it, it plays a huge role in what we can do as educators. What is your take on gamification in the classroom and um, sort of explaining that to teachers who may not have ever heard of this concept before? Yeah, so I guess the, the easiest way to explain it really is to just say you're, you're taking the principles of game design that make games fun, addictive, replayable, enjoyable, etc. And you're just putting them in an environment that isn't a traditional game. So you're thinking like a game designer, even if you know nothing about games, you're thinking like a game designer and you're plugging those skills and concepts into just that non-traditional setting like school or business or marketing or whatever it may be. So um, a great, great book for, for people to start with. If you want to learn about what gamification is, is there's a awesome book by a guy named Yukai Chu and it's called Octalysis. And he pretty much talks about, um, gamification and human motivation. And once you kind of get that down and I've kind of got a little summation of it, once you kind of got that down, it sky's the limit. It's literally all about your own creativity because you can take it as a, we were talking earlier, you can kind of take it any direction that you want. It does not have to be like, you know, an RPG or a sport theme game or, you know, you might not know, wouldn't consider yourself a gamer by the traditional sense, but you don't have to. It's about the different ways you can motivate kids using techniques that games use. Yeah, and I love that. And I've read you guys' book as well, and I think it's great. And he's also done a number of podcasts out there if you want to get a little bit of a feel what he's all about and everything like that. Now, 
obviously, you know, people are skeptical about this. And what I always say is, think about games that you get addicted to on your phone. Like, there's one, Candy Crush, Flappy Bird, there's Farmville. There's a number of these games. Why are you so addicted to that? And if you're so addicted, why can't we use that same game mechanics in the classroom with teachers? So then students want to keep playing. They want to keep going in this game. They want to play for hours and hours because at the moment, our schooling system isn't like that, Scott. So where did you start? This Obviously, you read a couple of books. You're like, wow, I'm fascinated with this. You had your three principles you wanted to address. Where, what did you start on your gamification sort of journey? Well, I, I kind of wanted to treat it like a book. So I said... I wanted it to be immersive because what I didn't want to do is there's this thing you don't want to do in gamification and they call them PBLs, which is known as points, badges, and leaderboards. Because immediately when you start explaining gamification to people, they go, oh, yeah, I do that. I do that. You know, I give kids uh, like a sticker chart in my classroom. So the stickers are like points. And I'm like, okay, that's, you know, that's good and fine. And, and then they, oh no, but just wait, they got like badges too, because if they get five stickers, and they get the golden sticker, and the only way to get the golden sticker is to do five whatever the chart is, do good things, pick up five pieces of garbage, whatever the classroom goal is. And then we track it in a leaderboard. And I'm like, yeah, but how often does that die? And they're like, you know, that's that's got about a 30-day lifespan in a classroom because then it doesn't change. It becomes the same thing month after month after month. So it's it's like playing a game that's poorly designed where you're like, oh, I'm literally just doing the same thing and nothing is changing you know, the level gets a little bit more difficult. And if those are the things that you hit, you hang your hat on in gamification, it's going to fail. So I knew that I had to create something immersive. It was, I had to treat it like a book or a movie. I had to capture the kid's attention from day one. And I had to, I essentially had to bash the traditional school system politely, of course, and say like, you know, we're not going to be doing this. And I started changing the languages. So I said, you know, instead of in science, we're in the land of Scientia Terra. And instead of Mr. Hebert, you guys can call me. And then they name, ended up naming me Master Hebes. That's where I kind of got my that name I've been using in, in my book and stuff. It's kind of yeah, yeah. funny. Um, so I said, I really need your help. I said, our land got, got uh, we're a resource-heavy nation. And this big bad guy named the Minotaur King found out we got this big, powerful stone. And as people hear this, they're going to be like, oh, I'm skeptical because, you know, 13-year-old kids in my class or or, you know, they're not going to get into that. Well, first of all, you can choose your own story. But second, my my answer to, to this is always, you're going to tell a kid, hey, we're in this land and it's going to be fun and we're going to be battling monsters and we're going to do all kinds of this crazy stuff. Or do you want to sit in the desk and read? <laughs> right? So 99.9% of the time, for me, I'm at 100% track record, thank God. Um, but I haven't had a kid who's refused it ever. They're all willing to try because the alternative is what they didn't like up to this point in their education. So I essentially just, just built this story. And then from the story, I picked medieval because I knew a big recommendation I'd always say is, is pick a topic, you know, don't try to force a topic that kids like. So if you know, classic ones is always Harry Potter. I don't know a lot about Harry Potter, but kids love it. I'm like, well, if you don't, then kids will pick your game apart. They'll be like, this is wrong, this was used wrong, this isn't the proper story, da-da-da. So you got to know it. So I used to grow up playing this game called Diablo. And it was just a medieval RPG. You just click skeletons and the guy would hit him with a sword. And it was you just pick up armor and stuff. But it was addicting to me. I just absolutely loved it. And so I was like, well, I know a lot about medieval armors and swords. And, and I can kind of, it's always been something that's been interesting to me. So I created a medieval-themed game. Then I added all the things off of that. That was the skeleton that I essentially populated the meat from. 
perfect, mate. And um, I have yeah been fascinated. I've been watching a lot of your videos on YouTube and going to your website, which I will have links to both of those in the show notes. So you can, for people that are listening along, if you are sceptical, the best way to actually is just go and watch the engagement and watch the excitement of the students you're teaching and, and the lesson ideas. And I love the idea of um, that you choose your own adventure game because I remember as a kid reading those books where, oh, you can go jump off a cliff or you can ride your bike, go to this page or go to that page. And it's exciting. It gives you choice. So um, is that sort of where you just, and you just kept building on this, this concept? That was, that was actually one of the things that I added later on. Um, oh, so that wasn't, that wasn't even front. Sorry, mate. I'm, I'm jumping ahead. No, yeah. No, no, don't worry. Yeah. Like a lot of people like kind of assume so that, and which is totally fine. Um, what I ended up doing was I was like, okay, so I'm going to fabricate this story. So I said, instead of work, we're going to call it quests. And you're, you guys essentially are going to, are going to go on a 10 month quest trying to rid my land of all these bad guys that are kind of holding me prison and, and, you know, making ruin in my land and plaguing my people and that kind of, you know, I kind of used that medieval tone. And, um, as we went through, instead of them getting questions and to answer from a book or from a slideshow or whatever, I would give them like rolled up scrolls or papers, or they'd have to scan things in my room that came to life with an app called blipper. And, uh, as they went through this, they met people that gave them challenges. Because one of the biggest things is, well, why are we doing this? Why do we have to do this, right? And that's a totally viable question. We're teachers. We sit in a staff room. Why the hell are we talking about this right now, right? It's a viable question. So a lot of people, are, because I said so, and I think that that's one of the worst things you can tell kids because you're what you're telling them right away is doesn't matter what your opinion is. So I talk, I say, okay, so you meet this person, and they're in this situation. And how would you help them in that situation? So the second thing, as, a, as someone who's teaching science, so much of what we teach is just purely found on Google in step-by-step sequence and answer. Build a density tower, boom, there it is. Build a viscosity ramp, boom, there it is. You know, build a model of a cell, boom, there. It's just all there, right? So I got so sick and tired of what was essentially just a copy-paste from kids, right? They, they couldn't explain it, they couldn't, but they, by the sense of the traditional rubric and all these other things I'm not a big fan of, Everything checked out, except when I went for deeper thinking. So I had to redesign the way I presented work because it just wasn't working. So all these people just give them tasks. So I tried to create ungoogleable stuff. So instead of uh, doing cell model, you come like for example, one of my quests is you come across a building that's broken down, and as you're searching through the rubble, this man emerges. You're ready to fight him, and then uh, to defend yourself, and then you realize that he claims to be some sort of uh, ancient scientist. But when his building was knocked over in the raids, he got hit in the head and he's losing his memory. So he gives you his material and he says, how would you preserve this for the future? (laughs) And so then the kids have to take the content that we've been learning about and that specific content I'm talking about is cell models and structures. And I said, how would you preserve this if you were in this scenario at this time with these um, variables to, to factor in? And the stuff that kids came up with was just mind blowing. I, like I'm I getting love that. So yeah, I was getting like coffee mugs and TV show references and songs and poetry and all I said was preserve the knowledge. And then I had an incredibly generic rubric that didn't put kids in a box. It explicitly said is all the criteria of the project met 54321, you know, uh, those kind of generic categories instead of is it two by two? Is it made from styrofoam? Is it, 
you know, because that's where I would get just so frustrated, even as a student when I used rubrics, because I looked at it a lot of the time and I said, you got to be kidding me. Like, I got an idea. I remember explicitly in grade seven asking to do something and I was told no because it didn't fit the rubric. And I said, well, then change your rubric. And I got in, of course, I got in trouble. <laughs> right. So so it was one of those things where I didn't want you know, I, at that point in time, I'd only been a teacher for, for four years. I'm like, I got 26 more years of this. Do I really want to add to a system that I personally feel isn't working? Yeah, so I just kind of kept going with that idea. I, I, I love that, mate. And, and I think the big thing uh, that I've taken away from all of that is that something that you were passionate about, if you love it enough and you create something and you show a bit of interest in the kids, the kids will start to love that as well. So I agree, if I was doing it, I wouldn't do Harry Potter. I would make it something to do with a sport sort of thing or um, and like you've done with the sort of medieval thing that you're passionate about and the kids can see that and that reflects in their learning and your teaching, doesn't it? Oh, without question. Like there's, what is that the saying they got in education right now? The We're not the... We're not the sage on the stage, we're the guide on the side, or whatever some thing that's coming up with. But it's it's essentially just saying that like we have to sell or we have to buy what we're selling to the kids, right? Like I had someone who messaged me, like, oh my gamification didn't work. And I'm like, Do you have any videos of it in action? Do you have any documents? Blah blah blah. And so they sent me some stuff and it was just Oh, we're doing this. All right. Yeah, we're in a medieval land here. I'm like, well, of course the kids don't give a crap about this. Listen to how you're presenting it. Like you have to be like super passionate about it. You got to be all over this, right? You got to be encouraging kids. You got to you got to be jumping up and down and excited with them. And then eventually the kids get so enthralled with it that you don't have to do that. But you I mean, people you go pandering to kids. Like, of course we're not. We're doing our job. Our job is to make kids interested in the content that we teach. And curriculum doesn't say how, it just says what. So let your, you know, let the creativity fly in your own classrooms. Take whatever your passion is and start infusing because that's how you're going to get kids to bring out their own passions. I love that. And I think uh, well, the, bit, the example you used when you were talking about uh, the preserving from the old guy that lost his mind is, as all in story, and I'm a massive fan of story. I think everything should be taught in story in a way, if possible, because how engages the kids. So, did you find by using that narrative sort of gamification, game mechanic sort of style, um, really helped build that engagement from the kids? Oh, absolutely. Because then I started getting really nerdy once I got kind of used to the flow of it. So all of my things were written in kind of two parts. It was this intro about how you got there. And we were, my district, or specifically where we are in our community, is a pretty low L.A. district. Mm. So um, I started to just infuse tons of writing and make it cross-curricular. So I was like, here is all of the the differences, you know, in to, to shoot the language up, shoot your reading, shoot your retention up. Because then I started giving bonuses, uh, XP in the game, so XP or my grades, Um I started to give them bonuses if they picked parts of the story and brought them to life in the way that they presented the work. Ah. Um, so I, I had this huge push for, for reading and, and, and literature in my science room, even though it wasn't from a traditional sense, that's not part of my curriculum, right? So that was really, really cool. And the more I had kids bought into it, they were just so excited about helping people and then, sorry, I kind of went off track there, but I, to come back, I started bringing in an ethics. 
So in September, you come across a woman who, um, and I, I tried to tie a bit of social to this too. I talked about how in the Holocaust, sometimes kids cried and gave away where they were hiding. So I said, you come across someone who's hiding. And as you're searching through this abandoned house, you hear cries. And this kid comes running out and the mom comes out scared. And the mom begs you to design a book or a toy to keep her kid quiet because he's a bit of a nerdy kid. Yeah. So can, can you build a book or a toy to help keep him quiet while we hide out here because we're scared? So then the kids have to take the knowledge and they have to translate it into a book that a child could understand. And then to make it real, my kids are four and three. I let them pick their favorite book. So it actually goes through a process of, of chill child approval. Um, wow. And then these, this kid, the kids don't know it. Um, but this kid is going to come back at my big year end game. And so I have a list of who helped him and who bypassed that quest. He's going to have learned chemistry from your book and he's going to make you a magic potion. That's going to help you in this big end day. But if you didn't, then you don't have access because you didn't help him. So I tried to tie in ethics and things too. Wow. So not only are you getting students to sort of recall the lesson and put that lesson or what you're trying to teach them into their own book or message, but then you're also teaching them that, okay, you chose not to help this student out, so now you don't get rewarded for that. How, How many different messages and learning objectives have you just ticked off in one little activity. And, and that's kind of the thing, right? I think that so much of education is this, we're told to be diverse and, and creative and critical thinkers, but then we don't give them things that allow them to do that. Or we punish kids if they, if they do that. And it's just so backwards to me. So literally, like you'll come into my classroom. Anyone can come into my classroom. It's an open door. It always has been. And I've, I've had all kinds of different people come in and want to check it out. And some days they're like, this is nuts. I'm like, but how many of these kids are not doing something productive? And, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm really, I'm really open to the fact that you might have a really rough social class the day before or the class before period before you come to my room. If you need 10 minutes to blow off steam because you're mad that something didn't go your way guess what? There's nothing wrong with that. Because if I take 10 minutes to force you to do something, I've now taken my time away from everybody else. I've angered you. And now when I leave after that 10 minute span, your work is either going to be subpar or not get done at all. So sometimes you just have to be reflective of what it's like to be a kid. Let's not forget that. So I always want to be cognizant, cognizant of all of these different things that go on in a kid's life in my classroom so that all of these different lessons come with learning the content of science yeah and i think that's a really powerful message that you know we might have a, a 50 minute or an hour session that doesn't mean that for that 50 minutes or the hour the students need to be sitting down and looking like they're working because realistically they're not by giving that student the 10 minutes at the start of the class you're probably going to get amazing 35 or 40 minutes out of them whereas if you didn't allow that and you come in and said no sit down you don't have a choice you probably wouldn't have got anything out of them. You would have made the mood worse and that student wouldn't have affected your classroom. So I think that in itself is a, a really good tip for teachers. Well, thanks. Yeah, I just, I just sometimes think that we, we feel so much pressure as teachers from the different you know, people, from these keyboard warriors, from political commentators, from 
disappointed parents from, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But in the end, our responsibility is the X amount of kids that are in your classroom for the X amount of time you have. And if you have to legally go to school, why the heck would you not invest time in making it an enjoyable experience? It's a very good point to take away. And, and I suppose, is that where sort of your idea came to complete, to write the complete guide to classroom gamification? Um, and I know that, yeah, I've, I've seen people in reviews on it that it is amazing. I, I personally haven't read it myself, mate, but um, that you decided, right, there's a lot of gamification ideas for business, for coaching, for all these different things, but there's not really anything for classroom gamification. Is that where you're like, right, I think this needs to be documented? Yeah, so essentially I, a couple of years ago I did a PD session. I was, I was really fortunate. They gave me this big room, and the concept was kind of this buzzword going around. So I had a pretty packed room, but probably say over 100 teachers. Wow, that's, and it's the first that's time a lot I, of teachers. So, yeah, it was, it was really, it was intimidating. I was a bit nervous because the first, like, true talk I did about it. But it was one of those things where I got so much, what do you mean you do this? How does this work? Blah, 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 blah. Just question, question, email, email. And then all of a sudden, um, I had a reporter from a newspaper show up uh, to my session. And she was like, you know, I want to come to your classroom. I kind of want to, you know, I want to find out if this is real or not. You know what I mean? Like, how much of this is played up and how much of this is legit. I was like, you're more than welcome to come. So she showed up and the editor of the newspaper liked her story so much. They put me in the front page of, of the biggest newspaper in our city. So wow. that was a game changer. The second that hit, it made the front page of Reddit the story. And then I just started getting contact from all over the world. And I just got so overwhelmed trying to respond to all these messages because I, I wanted to give everyone the time of day. I wanted to be respectful of everyone who took the time to write to me. But I was just burning out because I was getting the same questions. And, and so I was like, you know what? Maybe I should just write a book. But then I was like, oh, my God, I don't have a publisher. I don't know what I'm doing. But I remembered all of the struggles and the, you know, the hoops I had to jump through and the things I had to prove in the beginning to people. So I said, okay, why don't I simply just take the time and write this write this guide like if whether you know everything about games or absolutely nothing can i write a step by step guide about how to do what i did and if you don't like what i did you can still use the book to create your own thing you just it's kind of just this like process of going through so then i i did it and then i started getting really nerdy about it again cuz i'm big on theme and i actually gamified the whole book so the whole book is a choose your own adventure <laughs> that that's written in a total gamified format where you essentially find your teacher, you find this, this envelope and this book, chuck it into your pocket, you read it. It's the secret map to go somewhere. Then you meet a guy named master Hebes and he guides you through what gamification is and you complete these tasks. And I have a leaderboard that's tied with the book. And, and I just wanted to make the book immersive so that it's, it's funny. I put all these weird challenges in the book to see if people would do it. You know, so I'm getting pictures of people with blueberries under trees and sleeping with the book beside them and da da da. And and they're like, I'm just doing this because it's fun. And I'm like, think about it. Like that's what the whole point of this is. The whole point is to say, look at all the weird stuff you're doing with this book because you want these imaginary points that don't mean anything. Imagine if you could take that and put it into your classroom. So that that's kind of what I wanted to do when I did it. 
Um, so yeah, I literally didn't sleep for about three days and I just <laughs> wrote, <laughs> I wrote the book, uh, over the course of three nights. Wow. That is outstanding how efficient you were with that. And I suppose, um, if, and as I said, I'll, I'll have the show links, uh, in my show notes too, so you can go and download the book and check that out and also your website, Scott. Um, what I want to sort of finish with though is obviously, mate, you've given away so much content and I'm sure you've got teachers around the world just a head spinning about ways that they can incorporate this into what they are doing to get more engagement from their kids. But the, the one thing, maybe if there's one or two really basic, simple tips that teachers could use to try gamification or get it started on their journey themselves. Um, well, I guess if, if you're going to do it in a small, I'll kind of go a small scale, large scale tip. If you're going to okay. do small scale, tease it. Um, so a lot of th- times I tell people, I say, okay, if you're going to do a review before a test, don't do a Kahoot or what everybody else does, because those are your typical things that kids are going to see. So ironically enough, the first head doc I did, I called kids love cake, but why won't they eat yours? Which was the idea that every classroom is vanilla, meaning it's essentially the same thing. So I said, if you can create the chocolate cake classroom where the classroom has got the sprinkles, then it's going to be the one that gets the most attention because it's different than everything else that they see. So I've got some videos on my YouTube channel. They're called Guild Battles. Those are my review games. So one that's awesome is uh, here it's called Jenga. I'm sure it's the same thing over there. It's essentially just that wooden blocks by three by three tower and you pull the blocks out one at yep. a time. Still called Jenga, so, yep. Perfect. So essentially all we did was I, I put a countdown on the board and I just wrote a number four. And the kid's like, why is there a number four on the board? Like, I don't know. I played stupid. Just let him let him think about it. Of course he knows, blah, blah, blah. You know, went, went through it. And next day three, next day two, next day one. They show up in the class next day. The Jenga tower is built, but it's under a blanket. And they can't see it. I'm like, don't touch it. Put some question marks on it. I just wanted to build that interest. I wanted to build that. Well, what the heck is this guy doing? And then I put some trivia questions on the board. You got the trivia question right as your team. You got to pull a brick. But you want to add a little bit of craziness to the game. Underneath each brick contained a different rule. So you might lose the points you got. You might double your points. You might make groups stop talking, blah, blah, blah. And it was ridiculous. The engagement was insane. So it was such a small-scale thing. And then when I had my test the next day, because I always do these before tests, scores were huge because so much retention happened in that game. And so much discussion of, no, this is the answer. No, no, this is the answer. Okay, boom, this is our final answer. And it was amazing. So that was like small scale. Use little games and just tease them, build them up. Act like you don't know. Let them think. Let them, you know, sometimes kids will even write the rules to your games for you simply by you being like, well, what do you think it is? And then all of a sudden they'll start creating things in their own head. Like total side note, last year I put a puzzle in the middle of my room, which was not a puzzle at all. It was a series of objects. Okay. And, yeah. the, and the kids just kept figuring out things about them, things that were different colors, different shapes, different sizes, different locations. And they created four separate puzzles on their own about a treasure box and a fake fire pit and four, they call them wood cookies here, like four slices of a tree that acted as stumps. And they created four separate puzzles out of all of them that I awarded them. I said, oh, you cracked the puzzle when the thing was just so incredibly well thought out. One was as simple as putting out the fire with water, and then they searched the ashes. One was lighting the inside of a dark chest, 
Uh, one was one of the t- one of the the wood cookie seats was actually on a different colored tile than all the other ones, which I didn't even know. So it was just remarkable. So small scale things like that, where you let the kids think and be excited. If you want to do long term, the biggest thing I could ever suggest to anybody, and I'm a huge, huge, huge proponent of this in gamification, is theme. You got to sell it. If you're in medieval, do everything you can to make that classroom medieval. If you're Pokemon, Harry Potter, sports, it doesn't matter. Make your space what you say it is. Write your work in the language that you talk about. Have the discussions, use the tools, create your items, whatever it is. Do all of those things in the theme because then the kids will come into your classroom and they will immerse themselves in where they are. Like, again, something I did new this year. I said, if you guys were, and I thought realistically, I said, if you are mercenaries, I'm bringing in to my land to help me. You sure as hell wouldn't show up with furniture. So I let them earn resource cards and then I exchange those resource cards for actual material. So kids built their furniture in my room this year. it was it was stem it was engineering it was you know we had tables fall apart benches break but then we had discussion why the heck did that i didn't have center support and we had four people on a bench well yeah so then they would exchange for more wood and they you know made the bench better or blah 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 so i just kept trying to realize that not everyone's going to walk out a scientist so i might as well do what i can to get everybody excited well, I, I think that's a really, really good tip, and um, I, I know people around here just going insane that you let the students build their own equipment for your classroom. I think that's extraordinary. How did you, I know that, and I'm just thinking as a sceptic here, how did you get approval, or was that safe? How, how did you go about that? I didn't, <laughs> if I'm <gonna> be honest. <laughs> I just, they, they were like, how many desks do you want in your classroom? At the end of the year, I said, I don't want any. I said, what? I said, the kids are going to sit on the floor. What do you mean the kids are going to sit on the floor? Well, I said, we're in a medieval land. What the hell are you going to have desks for? Got to make it real. So actually, I found a guy in my classroom, a student whose dad installed AstroTurf. And I, I said, you know all those AstroTurf pieces that you chuck in the garbage? Yeah, give me them. So he gave me the scraps and we glued some together and I made five patches of grass. And when the kids came in on day one, there were five ref- terribly shaped pieces of grass on the ground for the five separate teams. And I brought in wood from construction sites. Uh, they have to sand it down. So we talk safety. You know, we got to sand it down a little bit, make sure there's no nails, make sure it's clean. But I argued that the, the design and engineer process, which is science, has to have failure in order to have growth. So I've had a kid sitting on his bench, rocking back and forth, being a goof. And lo and behold, his bench falls apart. Everyone laughs. And then he comes back to me and he goes, why did it fall apart? And I say, well, let's look at your bench. What was the flaw? So that's real learning, you know? So I even had a kid trip and go face first into a desk in a game. And no one cares. The, the, like the incredible part is that you create an environment that is so different and so unique to them that no matter what happens, they want to, they don't want to lose it. So if I say, if you guys are nuts and you cut crazy shapes and the desks are jagged and they're full of slivers, I'm going to step in and say, well, that's unsafe. I'll play safety role. So they, they take that to heart and they don't want to lose something they've invested so much time and effort into. So they just follow the basic rules. Would you sit on a rough wood table? No. Would you work where there's slivers? No. So I give them, 
you know, access to sandpaper. And it's just, it's just such a learning experience. And I, like, I'm just super blessed that I've, for the three years I've been doing this, we've had two different principles and both of them have been so supportive. So that's, that's been something I've just been really, really fortunate with. They're probably, I think you're underselling yourself a little bit there too, Scott. They're probably so supportive, mate, because they can see how amazing and engaging what you're actually doing. And I think it comes back to you yourself, mate. Now, I am fascinated with the complete guide to classroom gamification. Um, as I said, I'll have links on my show note. And if you want to contact Scott, um, again, I'll have his Twitter handle on the show notes and everything like that. Now, Scott, have you got any more TED Talks or workshops or keynotes or professional development coming up that people might like to actually see you in person? Yeah, this is all going to be kind of in my neck of the woods right now. But if anyone listening out there wants me to come around and I am more than willing to do anything. <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to go anywhere and share anything about this and run workshops. But locally here, I've, I'm super excited. I've got my first keynote ever uh, next Friday or the twenty or next Saturday, the twenty eighth, at uh, a conference for middle school teachers out here in uh, in the mountains of Banff, Alberta, which is cool, about five hours where I'm from. And then uh, I'm running a professional two days um, in my classroom. Um, thing for a PD company, professional development company out here um, on May 8th and 9th um, that you can kind of sign up for. It's through something called the ERLC uh, for anyone in the, uh, uh, I guess, Alberta area um, of Canada that would be interested in checking that out. And then uh, start just kind of starting my applications for some different things. Um, anyone who wants to have me or, or, you know, whether it's on a podcast or video chat or whatever. I just, I'm really, I feel really privileged and it's really humbling that so many people want to talk about this crazy idea I had. And I think it's awesome because everyone's got the same idea. They want to, they want to make education a better place for kids because we've all gone through sour education. And I think that's what a lot of people get excited about this topic is that we've all gone through crappy educational experiences and, and wish that something different would have happened. And I'm trying to show people that it's okay to be that different thing. It's okay to, you know, to push people out of their comfort zones. And, you know, I'm just, it's a joy to go to work every day. I love what I do. I just go in there and it's just so much fun because every class is different. Every group engages with this a different way, gets more excited about a different element of the classroom. You know, some like story more, some like the game currency more, some like the fact that we have jobs and resumes and applications more. It just keeps changing, you know? So I don't know. Sorry, I just keep talking. <laughs> no, don't don't be sorry at all. I'm I'm listening here, just going, wow. Like, uh, it's it's so refreshing to hear just the passion in your voice and the amazing ideas that you've got. And I'm sure people listening around the world will be like, wow, I'd love to get Scott out and and explore this more. So if you do want to do that, as I said, I'll have all the links in the show notes. If you go to energetic.education forward slash podcast, and this is episode number 58, you can find ways to contact Scott and reach out to him if if this has really touched you. Like I know I've been fortunate enough to listen to this today. And um, mate, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's uh, It's been an absolute blast. Yeah, no problem. And thanks again for giving me the time. Like I absolutely love sharing and I really appreciate, you know, anyone out there taking the time to listen and, and yourself taking your own time to put these podcasts together for, for other teachers, you know, and, and giving giving people that voice, you know, I think it it's phenomenal. So I, I really appreciate your time. No worries, Scott. Thank you very much for that, buddy. Hey, no problem. You take care.